Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. This is week four out of four, sadly. Uh, This has been such a beautiful month of being together with you on Sunday mornings as we've been going through the book of Ruth. And just as a quick refresher, what we've done so far over the past four weeks is we went through the whole story. We went from beginning to end because we wanted to see the big picture, what's going on in the book of Ruth. And then after that, what we've been doing is drawing out core ideas, uh, themes in the book of Ruth that really show us what God is doing in the world and then how we are to respond and live with him. So the very first week as we began to pull out uh, uh, the main themes, the big ideas, after reading through the whole book, what we said is that God is advancing his kingdom in mundane human life. So in the boring, in the everyday, in what seems so regular and taken for granted, God is actually invisibly at work building his kingdom. Do we have eyes to see it, hearts to step in and be a part? And then the week after that, what we talked about is that for some of us, we don't even really want to be a part of that, honestly, because we're in the midst of a dark, difficult time. And what we were reminded is that the book of Ruth is equally for us. God is present in the midst of suffering, and he delivers his people from it. So we looked at the story of Naomi, how she goes from emptiness and tragedy to fullness and joy, how God is present with her and delivers her from it. And this week, what we're going to look at is how God works on earth through people of loyal love. How does God show up? How does God actively work in the world? He does it through people of loyal love. I don't know if you're like me, but there's been times where I've prayed that God would act in my life or in other people's lives, and I thought he was going to somehow do that in some mysterious, disembodied way. Like I thought he was going to part the heavens and just reach down his hand and do something miraculous. I just assume that whenever I pray. And yet often, God is actively answering our prayers through his people. Through his people who loyally love others. And I've seen that in my own life, even within this season. Um, Those of you who've been here for a while, you're not a stranger to the fact that our church split about a year and a half ago. Uh, And that was a difficult time for a lot of us. And I'm no exception. Um, It was one of the more pressing times that I've gone through. And it was definitely the time in my life where I've most often prayed, God, I'm desperate for you. Fill me up. Refresh me. Encourage me. Sustain me because I cannot do this on my own. And, you know, often what I thought God would do is that whenever I sit down in the mornings and I open my Bible, that all of a sudden Shekinah glory would just surround me, you know. And that he would like lift me and refresh me. And I'd be like, all right, let's do this. And that happened a few times. I didn't see anything, you know. But I was refreshed as I spent time with the Lord. That happened a few times. But honestly, more often than not, it was a good time reading the scriptures. And I talked to the Lord. And then I had to say, okay, here I go. I'm going to live my day. And I'll tell you what. More often than not, I would walk through my day and I would be frustrated and be like, Lord, what are you doing? Why aren't you refreshing me? Why aren't you encouraging me? Why aren't you helping me to see that you were with me and sustaining me? And then one day, it was like he just opened my eyes and I saw all the letters that I had received, all the verbal affirmation that I had had, all the friendship that had come alongside to lift up, to speak truth, to encourage, to affirm And really what I saw was our staff around me. And it was like the Lord was like, I've been answering your prayers. 
Do you have the people to see? Do you see the people right around you? Cynthia Knowles, Bobby Austin, John Hayes, Holly Chapman, Jenny Jones, Jesse Edwards. Do you see these people who on a weekly basis are praying for you, who are speaking truth to you, who are encouraging you, who are coming alongside to help lift your weary hands so that you might keep on pressing forward? I've been answering your prayers. I've been active in your life. And it was a gift because I realized, one, God has been faithful. And two, he just knit my heart even deeper together with the people who've really become family to me, who've loved me well. God has worked through his people of loyal love in my life. It's more than just the staff. Many of you have been super encouraging, but especially the staff for me in this past season. God works on the earth, often not by just parting the heavens and reaching down, often not by just sending an angelic messenger and doing something miraculous. Most often it's through his people of loyal love. This is what we see in the book of Ruth, and this is what we're invited into. And so if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up once more to the book of Ruth. If you don't have one, go ahead and grab one out of the pew back in front of you. This is going to be important that you see this along with me. We're going to be traveling through really the core, the heart of the book of Ruth, chapters 2 and 3. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to focus in on Ruth, and we're going to focus in on Boaz And we're going to see that these two characters are people of loyal love that God works through. Uh, But before we get into the text, I just want to give you a short little vocabulary lesson. So the word in Hebrew that we bring across as loyal love is chesed. Okay? So I'm going to count to three and I want you to say chesed with me. Ready? One, two, three. Chesed. You got to kind of clear your throat a little bit. If you have loogie in there, don't do it. Um, but this is the Hebrew word. Chesed is the word that we draw across. It's really hard to translate into English, honestly. There's so much that's wrapped up in this biblical word. If you guys don't know this, uh, biblical words kind of work like this. They're like sponges, and they're really compact, dry, but as they're used more and more through Scripture, they just gain more and more rich meaning until they just are saturated. And chesed is one of those words. We see that our God is a God of loyal love. He's a God of Chesed. He is covenantally committed to his people. He makes promises and he follows through at great cost to himself. Our God is a God of chesed, of loyal love. And we see in the scriptures that his people are called to be the same kind of characters. They're called to be people of chesed who make promises and follow through, who are committed and sacrifice for the good of others because why? They're people of loyal love. That's who their God is, and that's who we're called to be. This is who we see Ruth and Boaz as. And so if you would, go ahead, flip on over to Ruth chapter 2. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at two scenes where there's an interaction between Ruth and Boaz. And if you've, been, if you've heard the book of Ruth preached as like relationship advice, weirdness, try to, try to hold that out of your mind, okay? Like the romantic stuff, we shouldn't be reading that into chapters 2 and 3, Okay? There's nothing like that going on here. This is just two upright people of loyal love interacting with one another. Okay, so let's pick it up in verse 1. Now, they've returned to Bethlehem. They need some food. And so this is what the author says. He says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, her mother-in-law, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose eyes I shall find favor. And so Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, Go, my daughter. So Ruth set out, and she went, and she gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come, just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech, a family member. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, Yahweh, the Lord be with you. And they answered, Yahweh, bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Here we see in this scene that Ruth boldly initiates and works hard to provide for her mother-in-law and for herself. She boldly initiates And she's just a hard worker, not just for herself, but also for her mother-in-law. So just to think back, Ruth and Naomi returned to Bethlehem. They'd been in famine before. They had lost family members, and they come back to the land of Bethlehem. They don't have food. And so the first question is, how are we going to keep going? How are we going to sustain our lives? And Ruth steps forward and says, I've got an answer. I can go out and take care of this thing. And what she says is, I'm going to go out and glean in the field of somebody who shows me favor. That word glean is actually a technical term. This comes from the Old Testament books like Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, where God said to his people, you're going to have poor in your midst, and the way that I'm going to care for the poor in your midst is by the way that you do your harvest. You're not going to harvest the whole field. You're going to leave the edges of the field so that the orphan, the widow, the foreigner comes in and they pick up those leftover grains. Anything that your workers drop, that's for the poor, the orphan, the widow. That's for them. This is what it means to glean. And so Ruth says, I know what God has said to his people, even though I'm a Moabite. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go find somebody who's actually following God's commands, who actually does care for the poor. And I'm going to glean in that field. But you got to recognize what that means for her. She's a foreign widow, which means that when she goes out into the field, she is surrounded by men away from town in a secluded place with high grain. Okay? If that makes you nervous to think about it in the modern context, you should be nervous thinking about it in the ancient context. In the same way that men mistreat women today, Same problem back then. And so for Ruth to enter into the field is to expose herself to danger. There's a threat to her safety physically. And she's willing to say, I'm going to go out because otherwise, we're just sitting here, we don't have food. On top of that, she's got to know, whenever she walks up to a field and she says, hey, can I glean in your field? They're going to look at her, they're going to say, you're not from here. And in fact, you don't even look like an Israelite. And in fact, I think that I heard you're from Moab, our enemies, so no. That would have been so likely for her not only to experience the threat of other males, but then to be rejected outright. And yet she boldly initiates and she says, I'm going to find somebody who follows the commands of God and who lets me glean in their field. 
And we see that God is merciful in who he provides. So let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 8. We'll see that Boaz astounds Ruth with his initiative and exceeding generosity. Boaz said to Ruth, <clears throat> Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged, or I will certainly charge the young men not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink with the young men of John. And then Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land, and you came to a people you did not know before. <clears throat> the Lord, Yahweh, repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then Ruth said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and you have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here. Eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean and she went back in the field, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, just pull out some from your bundles and drop it on the ground. Leave it for her to glean. Do not rebuke her. Here we see that Boaz is a man of chesed. He's a man of loyal love who shows abundant generosity and initiates towards Ruth. So just a few things that show us his generosity. In verse 8, he says, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. You stick here, you stick with my workers. Basically what Boaz is saying is you don't have to wake up every morning and wonder who's going to welcome you into their field. You don't have to ask the question day after day, God, are you going to provide with somebody else who's going to let me come in and just for free get food from them? Boaz says, I'm taking that cost. You're with me. You're taking my food. You're provided for. Gleaning was something that was a communal responsibility. It wasn't meant to be just the cost to one person. It was meant to be everybody who owned land took on this communal burden to care for the poor in their midst. Boaz says, I'm not worried about that. You're with me, you're with my workers, you stay in my field, you eat my food. So that's how he starts the conversation. But then he moves right away to her protection. In verse 9, he, he affirms near the end, he says, the translation you have might, says, might say, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Um, it can also be translated, I will certainly command my workers, my young men, not to touch you. So he's thinking about provision for her, but then he's also thinking about her protection. You don't need to worry about what's going to happen out here, removed from town in the high grain. I am going to be certain that my workers do nothing to harass you. You're safe. You're secure. You just do your thing here. You don't have anything to worry about. This is a man of loyal love towards a foreigner. And then he shows this amazing generosity. He says at the end of verse 9, and when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, for us who are used to having running water and faucets wherever we go, this is really weird. But every day would start like this. The lower class people 
would go to the river with a gigantic vessel and they would go fill it up and then they would put it on their heads and they would walk miles back to wherever the work site was and they would pour all that water into a big vat and everybody would drink from that. That's your water for the day, okay? So Boaz is saying, all that work that's been done for my workers, you just help yourself. Make yourself at home. This is for you. This is amazing, one, because typically it's women who draw for men, and then certainly it's foreigners who draw for natives. And so he's looking at this Moabite woman and saying, drink your fill. Have the grain that you need. Be at home. Be secure. Know that you're safe. This is at my cost. You don't worry about it. And then he goes even further socially. Look at verse 14. At mealtime, he said to her, come here. It's likely that Ruth, in the middle of the day, probably doesn't have a lunch. So in the hottest part of the day, all the workers take a break and they go sit in the shade. Ruth is probably sitting on her own while Boaz and his workers are eating together. And Boaz looks over and he says, no, no, no. You don't sit by yourself. You come on over here. And then what he actually does is pass her grain and gives it to her and serves her. This is a master serving a servant. This is a native serving a foreigner. This is an Israelite serving a Moabite. This is a man serving a woman in a patriarchal society. Help yourself. You're one of us. You're not an outsider. You're here. You're one of mine. You're provided for. This is not just providing and protecting. This is drawing in and including And then in verses 15 and 16, he just kind of pulls out the stops and he looks at his workers and he says, look, all the rules that typically apply to gleaning, just forget them, right? The stuff that you cut and you leave on the ground, leave that for her. Just drop it. Let's give her as much as we can. We don't want her going home with just enough. We want to have her going home overflowing. Boaz is a man of chesed. He's a man of loyal love. At cost to himself, he makes sure that Ruth is okay. He's watching out for her good. Just as she is watching out for the good of her mother-in-law, we see two people of chesed just living life faithfully. And it's beautiful. That's chapter 2. And at the end of chapter 2, Naomi hears about all of this. In verse 20, she says, May Boaz be blessed by Yahweh. Why? Because His kindness or his chesed has not forsaken our family, the living or the dead. He's explicitly praised for this, as we will see that Ruth is in chapter 3. And so, in both the harvest scene in chapter 2, but then also in the threshing floor scene, we see both of them, Ruth and Boaz. These are people of loyal love. And we'll see at the end that God is working through them. Let's pick it up in chapter 3. The story goes on. Naomi looks at her, mother, her daughter and Naomi says to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And is not Boaz, with whose young women you were, a relative? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak, dress up nice, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. 
So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Here we see Ruth loving her mother-in-law by obeying what she says. But just by show of hands, just honestly speaking, whenever you read that, whenever you hear that, does that sound a little bit weird for Ruth to go do? Raise your hand if that sounds a little weird. Okay, that's a good number of you. You're right. <laughs> this is really weird, okay? Um, so just a little bit of cultural background on the threshing floor. First of all, functionally, what is a threshing floor? Uh, because I know so many of you harvest grain that you're familiar Basically, what the threshing floor is, is a gigantic stone area on a hilltop outside of town. And what you do is you throw down the actual grain on that stone. And grain comes in hard shells, hard casings. So what you have to do is you have to break it from the husk, the outside shell, and then separate the grain from the chaff. The way they do that is they roll wheels over it or find different ways to crush it, and that chaff breaks away, and then they get pitchforks and they scoop it up and as the wind blows, the chaff blows away and they have their grain, okay? That's the threshing floor. You're welcome. Now you can go make bread. <laughs> so this is the threshing floor, and typically what happens is at the end of harvest, all the workers get out to the threshing floor, and this takes a long time. They build these gigantic piles of grain, separating the grain from the chaff, and often it's such a long day's work that they have this gigantic pile, and it's nighttime, and if they leave it, there's going to be thieves who come through. And so what workers will often do is they'll lay down and they'll sleep beside their grain piles. That's normal. That's innocent enough, right? But as we know, sin often gets wrapped into human culture, and what is pure and innocent and normal becomes corrupt. And so whenever we read threshing floor, we don't think anything, but if we were an ancient Israelite and we read threshing floor, we would think red light district. Okay? Because at the end of harvest, it's party time. Like you're happy that you finished your all your hard work, this is the climax of all you've been doing all season. So men drink deeply and they get drunk. And then women come from the town, loose women, and they offer their services to these men. Whenever an ancient Israelite reads Threshing Floor, they read what we would think of as Red Light District. Okay? And so here's the plan. You go down and you lay down at this man's feet, uncover his feet, and wait for him to wake up, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth's got to be thinking, what? Seriously? This is your plan? Like, this could go bad. This is risky, and it could go bad. See, Ruth could go out in the middle of the night. Men are walking around in altered states of mind, and she could be harassed. This could go very terribly for her. She's risking her safety. But even beyond her safety, she's risking her reputation. What happens if she goes down to the threshing floor and she's misunderstood as a loose woman? What would happen if Boaz looked at her and said, hey, I don't roll like that. You get away from me. Our relationship is done. This is a real risk for Ruth. And yet, not only does she obey her mother-in-law, but she has a plan to benefit her mother-in-law. We'll see here in a second. We're going to read the text, and I'm going to show you how we see that. But before we do that, I want to kind of vindicate Naomi in your eyes, okay? Because you're thinking, who in the heck, what kind of mother-in-law would send her beloved daughter-in-law to go do that? I think what's happening is that Naomi is saying, you need to very clearly show Boaz that you're no longer mourning. So take a look. In verse 3, she says to Ruth, wash 
anoint yourself with good-smelling oils, put on your cloak or your nice clothes, and then go down to the threshing floor. All of these actions are associated with showing I am breaking with my morning time and I'm stepping back into normal life. So when David is mourning his sixth son, whenever he dies and the Lord says, your time of mourning is over, he gets up, he washes, he anoints himself, he puts on nice clothes, he has a feast, back to normal life. And I think what Naomi is saying, you need to show Boaz that you're no longer mourning and that you're eligible for marriage. And then he will take the initiative. He's a good man. He will not take advantage of you. I think that's what's going on in Naomi's mind. Okay. Anyways, okay, let's keep going. What happens? Verse 7. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. Then Ruth came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And at midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by Yahweh, my daughter. You have made this last kindness or this last chesed or this last act of loyal love greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now it is true that I am a redeemer, and yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, as Yahweh lives, I swear I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And so we see in this moment of high tension, in this moment of risk and uncertainty, the hand of God at work guiding the heart of a man of chesed. This man is able to work a long day's work. He's able to enjoy the good gifts of God. He's had a good meal, a good drink. He lies down to bed. He wakes up and there's a woman at his feet and he doesn't give in. He doesn't function on the default of male lust. Instead, he's presented with a woman who says, hey, own up to your prayer. <laughs> Fulfill your own prayer. And instead of looking at her as an object to be used, instead of being offended by her forwardness, he praises her and says, I'm down. I'm down. I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. Why? Because I know who you are. You're a woman of chesed. And this is what he highlights. Look back at verse 10. His reaction to her, may you be blessed by Yahweh, my daughter. You've made this last act of kindness or this last act of chesed greater than the first. You abandoned your home, your town, your family, and you committed yourself to your mother-in-law at great risk to yourself. But this is even greater. What you've done here is even greater than that. What, what did she do? She did not go after young men, whether poor or rich, but she chose Boaz. She could have had her choice of the men, in Boaz's mind, poor, rich, young men, doesn't matter. She could have married for love. She could have married for money, been su supported, but instead she chose Boaz. Why is that a big deal? Look at the end of verse 9. She says, you are a redeemer. She chose Boaz because she loves Naomi. Boaz 
as Naomi's family member. And as a redeemer, he's the family member who steps into brokenness and helps restore what's been broken. Naomi has lost her family. She is hungry. She is not supported well. Boaz is the man to step in and help make this whole. And so what Ruth is saying is, I'm choosing you because you can benefit my mother-in-law. I want to commit my life to you. I want you to take me as your wife because you're a redeemer. And I know you're a good man, and I know that you want to care for my mother-in-law, so I'm choosing you. And Boaz says, you could have had your choice anyway, and yet you love your mother-in-law so much that you would commit yourself to an older man out of love for her. May God bless you. And check out her boldness. This is pretty cool. Uh, so she says, verse 9, she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Back in chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz said to her, May Yahweh spread his wings over you, provide for you, and protect you. And she steps in and says, Hey, remember what you prayed? I want you to be the wings of God. I want you to be his pr provision and protection for me. These are two people of chesed coming together. Ruth caring for her mother-in-law, taking bold initiative at great risk to herself, stepping in and making this choice, and Boaz responding to her and saying, yes, I'm going to do whatever I can. And as we've seen in the past weeks, what God does at the end of the book is he provides this boy named Obed. And Obed comes in to restore Naomi, to restore her spirits, to comfort her, but then also to provide for her in her old age. This is the way that God has been working to deliver Naomi. But then also... God provided Obed, who's the grandfather of King David, to come, who's the ancestor of King Jesus. So in the great big picture, God has been working through all of these details, one, to deliver Naomi, but then two, on a grander scale, to build his kingdom in human history. And he's been doing it through acts of loyal love by everyday people. God works on the earth through acts of loyal love love. This is primarily how he acts in our stories. And guys, I would love uh, to go a lot longer, but I apparently got too caught up in the details of this text. Um, so here's just a, a few concluding thoughts for us. What does this mean for our lives? First and foremost, so we, here's what we recognize. We are God's agents in the world. If we trust in Christ, we are filled with God's spirit, and he says, you are my physical representation in the world now. I'm going to work my plan through you as you are people of loyal love. But here's the reality. We can't pour out what we aren't first filled up with, right? Like you can't give away what you don't have yourself. And so it's empty moralism for me to stand up here and tell you, go forth and love your neighbors, by your own strength, do a better job, feel guilty about it. This is not the message of the scriptures, and this is not the message of the gospel. We are deeply loved so that then we might be loving. God knows all the dark thoughts that you have. He knows your hang-ups. He knows your addictions. He knows the lies and the deceit that you have woven into your life. He knows all the dark, nasty things about you that you are terrified of and you hide away from other people. 
And yet he presses in and he embraces you. He says, I love you. Why? Because in the death and the resurrection of Christ, all of that junk was dealt with on the cross. It was taken out of the way. It was nailed to the cross of Christ so that there would be no division between you and a holy God. God sees you for who you are fully and loves you. I have never experienced this until, on a human level, until I got married. My wife knows my sin better than anybody else. She knows that I'm a lustful man, and she's seen that. She knows that I'm a man who is inconsistent, and she's experienced that. She knows that I'm a man who is immature and inconsiderate, and she's experienced that. And yet, seeing that fully, she has stepped in and embraced me time and time again and said, I love you. This is the kind of love that God has for you. You have to dwell in the love of God daily, reflecting on the gospel daily, receiving the love of your Father daily before you go out and try to pour out love into the lives of other people. You've got to have first for yourself what you want to give to others. I've tried to just grow in this simply by morning, afternoon, evening, literally just stopping, pausing, and saying, God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that your approval of me is not based on my performance. Thank you that you are committed to me, and there's nothing that I can do to sever that. Thank you. Now, let that refresh me and carry me through my day. We have to dwell in the love of God daily so that we might be loving And then finally, we grow as people of loyal love as we live lives of service. We actually grow to be the kind of people who by second nature love others loyally as we serve faithfully. So let's just be honest. In many of our churches, what we have is honestly a flabby Christianity where we come in, we sit down, we are fed, and then we go back home. We come in, we sit down, we are fed, and we go back home. And we understand that just in a physical perspective, that is not good for you. And in a spiritual perspective, it's the same way. The God-intended healthy rhythm is that you eat, you work, and you rest. You eat, you work, and you rest. This is the way that God grows us to be people of loyal love. We come in, we're fed, we get to work, and then we rest when it's appropriate. I just want to encourage and affirm, in this past season, in the past year and a half, since we went through our split, we have seen more people step up and be faithful than I think we've ever seen. I mean, I can't say that. I've been here for a long time, but I've been talking to a lot of people who've been here for a long time, and they have just been overflowing in the way that Our people have just stepped up. You have stepped up. And yet here's the reality. Still not all of us. There's still room for growth for all of us. And the honest reality is that if we have the small percentage carrying most of the load, that's only going to last so long. A body works well when the whole body is pulling in the same direction. If I walk on this leg more than I walk on this leg, it's going to get really strong and buff and then eventually it's going to give out, right? This is what happens to our people whenever there's an imbalance. And so 
If you just take an honest assessment of your life and consider how am I being fed, but then also getting to work and resting when appropriate. I think some of us might need to step back a little bit and rest. And there are others of us who say, I'm actually fresh and I'm ready to get to work. This is how we're called to function as a family. This is how we grow together as people of loyal love in the world is by working and loving each other faithfully. Boaz and Ruth lived as humble people in their daily lives and God worked through them in mighty ways. They were people of chesed, people of loyal love that God used as his instruments, his agents. This is what God does. This is how I've seen God work in my life in the staff members here at this church. While I'm praying to God, help me, encourage me, refresh me, he's doing that through the people he's placed in my life. We're all called to fill that role. We're all called to look around and say, God, where are the opportunities? Strengthen me that I might be a person who loyally loves the people around me. God works through that. Let's pray for that. Almighty God, I'm so grateful for the way that you look at us and you don't see our faults, our flaws, our failures first and foremost, but when we've trusted in Christ, you look at us and you see spotless righteousness. You see sons. You see daughters. You see beings that you've created, that you've rescued, and that you are making new. And so, Lord, would you grow us to be people who reflect the kind of love that you have for us? I pray for those in our body who are weary, who are tired. Pray that you would refresh them by the people that are around them in their lives. And I pray for those of us who have been here who need to have eyes to see the role that they are called to play. Would you please give them a heart to step in and say, I'm here. How can I get to work? Lord, we're thankful for all that you've done for us, for all the ways you've been invisibly at work. We pray, oh God, that you would use us as we submit ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen.